If you're in the Bay and can make it to Berkeley on April 18th, join us at our Robotics and AI Conference. We'll have live demos, interviews with leading robotics and AI technologists, and technical workshops that are pretty cool, along with some networking. Get 15% off your ticket using promo code equity at techcrunch.com slash roboticsai. If you're looking to sell your private company's stock, SharesPost has a solution for you. With more than $4 billion in company-approved transactions, SharesPost is the leading marketplace for private company shares. To learn more, visit us at sharespost.com slash equity. Hello, and welcome back to Equity. I'm TechCrunch's Silicon Valley editor, Connie Loises, and I am joined today by the lovely Alex Wilhelm, who is the editor-in-chief of Crunchbase News. Alex, hello. Hey, everybody. (laughs) There is a lot to get through this week, and I'm glad to report that we have Jeff Clavier with us today in the studio to help us make sense of it all. Thank you guys for having me. (laughs) Thank you for coming. Jeff is, of course, the co-founder of Uncork Capital, formerly known as SoftTech VC. Jeff, Alex, tons of super giant rounds this week. No big surprise. Uh, One of them is Acorns, which raised $105 million in Series E funding. Alex, tell us a little bit about this company and this Yeah. So Acorns is a fascinating company. This round had been rumored, I think it was late Q3, early Q4 of last year. It was supposed to be about $100 million at about a $700 million valuation. So I think it came in at $105 million and a slightly higher valuation. Um, So, But we kind of knew this was coming around. So what's fascinating about Acorns is that I thought it was just a relatively simple application that helped you save a little bit of money each month and maybe put it away into an index fund. They're doing a bit more than that. They're working with a lot of other companies to help kind of connect their user base with those brands. Uh, They're building out a debit card functionality, so they're kind of a neobank. I'm kind of impressed with them, and I've spoken with uh, the CEO once. I wrote a story about their revenue expectations that wasn't exactly flattering, so I got on the phone with him and uh, kind of (laughs) fleshed that out a bit. Um, But it's a lot of money. And so, you know, I think there was some discussion in Silicon Valley and especially in the global venture capital scene that as Q4 rolled along, there was some slowdown in large rounds. But here we are with this round coming in a little bit bigger than expectations uh, and for a company that isn't as well known as some of the other super giant companies. So I'm impressed by it. And I'm uh, I'm curious what they're going to do in product sense uh, with this huge new round of capital they just got deposited into their accounts. Uh, but I like the, the kind of neo banking savings space as a whole. Yeah. So this company, I guess, sort of appeals to millennials. Uh, I think they said the average user is maybe like 32. And what's special about this, you said it's a savings program, uh, product. So it helps people round up their spare change. If you buy you know, a latte for $2.75, the mobile app will take that quarter, put it into an investment account, which is then put into professionally managed index funds. So Alex, when you said some of the partnerships that surprise you, you're, you were talking about the fact that they work with these mutual funds. Is that a new Well, No, no, that's, that's kind of the old thing, but they work with companies like DoorDash. Like if you're a Acorns customer and you work and you go use brand X, they'll put some money into your account. So they're kind of linking these millennial customers they oh. have with other brands that want to do business with them. And that's the way they drive revenue for themselves as well. So they started off with a savings product, which you've described, and they're adding a lot more to it, which is why the capital makes sense because they're not just doing one thing. They're doing kind of a plethora of things. Uh, which makes them more exciting, I think. Jeff, what do you think? Have you sort of looked at these um, kind of, you know, savings slash 
uh, wealth management products? We've looked at a few of those. I mean, I was one of the first investors in Mint uh, ages ago. And so we, we don't do much in fintech. We certainly looked at the uh, millennial and Gen Z sort of focused financial mm-hmm. product. We have a, a non, an announced uh, sort of investment there. I think to, to comment on one trend you discussed last week, because I'm a, I'm a huge fan of you guys, so I listen to uh, your podcast. There's a lot of uh, deals which have been in the works for a long time, mm-hmm. which may not have closed until this year or may not have been announced until now. So it's, it will take a couple of uh, months to figure out how Q1 really looks like. And then we'll see whether we see a drop in activity in, uh, in large rounds or not. But from my vantage point, I haven't seen any drop in activity whatsoever. It's very busy. It seems incredibly busy. I'm really astounded. One thing that's sort of interesting to me about Acorns is it gets compared sometimes to these two robo-advisory firms. One is Betterment, one is Wealthfront. Um, And they now have actually um, smaller valuations according to their private market investors, which I think is sort of interesting because I think the brands are... Stronger and they're different because, you know, there's, there's one thing which is let me help you really... Uh, save mm-hmm. sort of your capital and then let me help you invest. And yes, there's a crossover and it's kind of different. And certainly Betterment um, and Wealthfront have been around for a long, long time now. Right, right. Well, that's what I was going to say. I feel like they're very different products. I feel like Betterment and Wealthfront are sort of for people who maybe have some assets, maybe not enough to have uh, managed by a professional mm-hmm. financial advisor, but enough that they want to grow those assets and protect them and want to pay less in management fees. So they use these services. Acorns, I think, is much more your, you know, you really I want to get started. About, yeah, you want to get started. Um, so it's interesting. I sort of think maybe a more um, direct competitor, although I'm not positive of this, is a four-year-old company in New York called Stash. Uh, and that's sort of, it's mm-hmm. sort of interesting because um, I'm wondering if we'll hear more uh, about a funding round for that company because it's got a very sort of similar trajectory. Uh, its backers include Union Square Ventures and um, Peter Thiel's um, Valor Ventures. Uh, among others, and it's raised 113 million over the years compared to Acorn now, which I think is raised like 207 million. Um, and it raised last in February of last year, so it seems like it would maybe be due for a Series E. So it's sort of interesting. It seems a little bit more like these two companies might be. Yeah. Hey, that. W- one thing on before we move on from Acorns is that uh, their debit card product has an enormous kind of customer demand waiting. I think when I talked to the CEO, they had something around 300,000 pre-orders to get into their debit card program. And one thing that I learned while I was kind of arguing with Acorns PR uh, was how interchange works and how fees work with that. And uh, another company called Chime that was covered in the New York Times is doing uh, other stuff in the debit card space. And they get small amounts of money every time their debit cards are used due to interchange or whatever that is. I'm sure the payment people out there know better than I do. But if Acorns can get these hundreds of thousands of people into the market using its debit card product, the revenue potential is pretty interesting. And I think that's why maybe they pulled ahead of Betterment and Wealthfront in terms of valuation, because they have a more diverse set of revenue streams. Um, but again, I'm talking a lot of, of, of thought work here. I haven't seen actual revenue numbers from any of these three companies, so I'm just kind of speculating. But I think there's just a bit more than you would expect uh, from Acorns under the hood, or at least coming up soon. And that's kind of why I threw it in, in the list today, because I, I, I didn't find it to be super impressive until I got to kind of explore it more. And then now I'm kind of like, okay, this is cool. So anyways, I'll shut up about Acorns, but I think it's a neat round and they have a lot of capital now. So we'll see. Yeah. I would just point out that we're in an environment where valuations have uh, naturally sort of increased compared to the last couple of years. So um, you would really want to try and figure out what Betterment and Wealthfront would be valued at if they were raising today, you know, to really have a, a absolutely. comparison. And, and to be honest, 
Private valuations don't mean anything, by the way. But, right. Well, know. they mean something for us because they make really nice headlines. And I got to say, that's... Oh, sure. You're that's right. Critical. I know. Like, ooh. Um, well, let's talk <laughs> about one more unicorn that has a much higher number. Um, Stripe, which is one of the, I don't know, golden children of the current Decacorn unicorn era, uh, raised uh, $100 million more million, which is not that much money because the company is worth now um, $22.5 billion up from $20 billion, more of those kind of magic numbers that Jeff just pointed out. Uh, and so it, it gets kind of silly because they only sold $100 million of their stock at, at a, such a high valuation. This is less than you know a 5% stake. It's actually much less than that. So I'm kind of curious how, how we feel about this valuation and, and uh, start picking up, I don't know, another $100 million. Now it's raised, I think, about $800. Um, but it struck me as l- less of a big deal than it otherwise would be for a company to raise uh, so much money in one big check. I, Stripe is an incredible company, uh, and I'm pretty sure that they could raise any amount of money that they want mm-hmm. at any valuation because investors are super excited about you know the potential. So it seems to me that it's either there's a strategic reason for them to tack on you know 100 million from that particular investor. Do we know who that who it was? Tiger, right, Tiger did their last round, their last 245 million. So Tiger is now taking part in at least 345 million of Stripe investments in the last uh, 12 months. Yeah, it's a lot of money. Wow. Okay. So it could so it could be you know either Tiger had the opportunity to add you know 100 million to their because that's their strategy. They really sort of come in with an armored truck in front of the company <laughs> and they try and, and sort of stuff you with as much cash. And you know that's a very smart strategy, uh, as much cash as they can so that they have a meaningful ownership. And so either the team thought that they needed a bit of capital for any reason and then. Tiger made it easy, or maybe there was like a you know mix of primary yeah. and secondary mm-hmm. uh, sort of transactions. It's not uncommon mm-hmm. at those kinds of valuations that you make the um, the employee liquid, partially liquid if they mm-hmm. want to. And you know I don't know whether Stripe announced anything, or whatever, but you know could also be some kind of a really raising a bit of money before an IPO, maybe I don't know. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's that's my question. Is this is kind of like a last bridge round before they go public because Stripe has been mentioned as a 2019 IPO candidate, but in less certain terms than we've heard about like Uber or Lyft, who we know have already filed. Mm -hmm. And I I don't have a good feel at all, frankly, personally, uh, as to whether Stripe's going to file in this calendar year. Uh, I haven't heard Jack about that recently, so I don't have any insight. But, you know, it's not uncommon to raise an extra tranche of capital before you do. Um, And so this could be it. But, you know, I'm once again speculating quite a bit. But... Um, we can set bets if you'd like. That might be fun. <laughs> well, it, it it competes pretty directly with, uh, I don't know how to say it, Adyen? Adyen, Adyen yeah. Um, and obviously that offering went pretty well. So Adyen is kind of the international version mm-hmm, of Stripe, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. sort of the way to think about it. And, you know, I think they've, they've done reasonably well in the public market. I don't know that they've really sort of done amazingly. Um, full disclosure, I bought some Adyen personally. And, okay. you know, I've been sort of up and down. I haven't made that much money compared to a, you know, video <laughs> and grade or whatever, who okay. have like double or tripled in a year. Uh, the Audien IPO, though, just as a bit of a shout out to that company, was surprisingly quiet, I feel, here in America. Mm-hmm. I feel like if Stripe and Public would make a, make a much bigger splash. And I know one's domestic and one's not. But the Audien IPO was pretty good. It was, I think it was an up valuation and it had a reasonable early performance. Um, so if you haven't uh, checked out Audien, you should. I actually interviewed the CEO of Audien for TechCrunch a long time ago. Uh, now that I think about it, gosh, that was years. Mm-hmm. I didn't see it going that well. Proves what I know. <laughs> hey, everyone. Don't forget, this episode is brought to you by SharesPost. 
we are going to scoot uh, along a little bit on the IPO track to Pinterest, uh, which is making waves this week and is one of the expected IPOs for 19. So, Connie, what is Kraken? Yes. Yeah, so, uh, Reuters reported the news uh, and we sort of confirmed it independently at TechCrunch. But Pinterest, which is now nine years old and, uh, you know, I'm sure a lot of listeners know it, uh, you post your images and links um, on everything from wedding to beauty trends, hired Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan Chase's lead underwriters. Uh, and the IPO is expected to um, come to fruition this year. So there's been a lot of talk about um, a Pinterest IPO on the horizon. And this sort of just kind of firms up picture a little bit. Um, so the company has raised $1.5 billion over the years. It was last valued at $12 billion, but this was in uh, 2017. And to Jeff's point, Things change a lot. So uh, who knows what it will be valued at when it comes out. I think this company is kind of interesting. I guess, was it in December? We had Venki Ganesanon from Menlo Ventures. Um, and we talked a little bit about Pinterest. And we talked about, um, you know, the fact that this is a company that kind of gets lumped together with social networks like Twitter and Facebook. But it's really not much of a, a social network. It's really more of like a, a search and discovery tool. Um, and so, you know, it's, I, I think in ways that Facebook is getting, you know, hammered, you know, justifiably now, um, Pinterest is not going to be, I think, affected by those, um, sort of, you know, sc scandals. Um, and also it's a very sort of Venky was talking about, um, it being kind of like a very direct, um, buy type model. You see something, you click on it, you buy it. Whereas, um, other companies that are sort of reliant on advertising. Yeah, I think, I mean, Pinterest has certainly had a very impressive, uh, trajectory for something that a lot of people, including me, sort of uh, underestimated because mm -hmm. I passed on Pinterest a long, long time ago. Um, <laughs> and whoops. Um, what's going to be um, uh, the big question is what's, and you guys reported on their revenues, uh, right? Uh, so right, right, right. The uh, question is what sort of multiple will the, uh, the street uh, apply to those revenues and will they be considered an ad tech type company or? sort of a media type company or, or something in between, in which case there would be a drag on the multiples, to be honest, because anything which has sort of feels or smells uh, a bit like ad tech or media doesn't have a great multiple. That's really interesting. I um, I don't think of it so much as ad tech, but that's that's really, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting that could compare excuse me, could possibly happen. Um, the revenue last year that Jeff was just referencing was 700 million, which um, we did confirm independently. And um, that was more than double what the company had generated in 2017. Which is so, incredible to double yeah, at that absolutely. kind of scale, you yeah. know, scale of revenue. 200, oh, can I quibble about that, Connie? I think the, the number that I heard for 2017 was 473 million. So not quite, quite a double, double. Okay. to 700. Uh, but a very impressive result. I do not mean to quibble with that. But uh, it was it went so 299 in 2016 to 473 in 17 to around 702 2018. And presumably it's going to hit a billion this year, give or take. Um, it's an impressive run. It's not as fast as it was supposed to be. TechCrunch reported a while back some Pinterest documents that they showed to investors and they forecasted back in the day much faster growth. But still, it's going to hit a billion. So it's I mean, I'm impressed, right? Yeah, yeah but yeah. Oh, Let's just step back and mm -hmm. think about, you know, the fact that they didn't monetize for a while. They just mm -hmm. built a product which has, uh, you know, massive sort of attraction for the users and retention. And then they introduced uh, products that got them into revenues. And people sort of thought that 
revenues would be relatively small. And so I was shocked to hear those kinds of numbers. And the fact that they could look at, you know, a billion dollars in revenue a few years into the monetization is mind-blowing. That's a yeah. great point. I know. I think they introduced this, what, like maybe three or four years ago? It seems like they were... Yeah, yeah I was going to say four or five years yeah, ago. Yeah, Um I think the... I don't know if this is... My take was the the user growth may be slowing slightly, but I think people are highly engaged. And, and maybe that's even uh, a mistake, but it has 250 million monthly users compared with 200 million monthly users who are on the platform as of mid-2017. So... I'm not it's really not a huge growth. I mean, it's yeah, still it's, meaningful. Sure, right? it's not. It's not 400 million users, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but I think but, Twitter has shown that you can really uh, increase monetization of have a relatively stagnant user base over time and still get a right. reasonable multiple. And if they're still growing, that's kind of the key thing. Um, yeah, and it's and it's getting a lot of international markets, um, from what I understand. So it already has 1,600 employees um, across the country, but it's it's got. Um, in addition to U.S. offices um, in Chicago and, of course, San Francisco has got offices now in London, Paris, Sao Paulo, Berlin, Tokyo. And I guess, you know, those, um, you know, having places around the world is starting to have uh, an impact because half of its users now live outside of the U.S. That's fantastic. I, I, I want to double click on what Jeff said about getting it wrong. Uh, I deleted all my tweets. so You can't find this one anymore. But I used to have a tweet in which I was kind of talking about different unicorns. And I said that Pinterest had missed its monetization window back in like, 2016. Uh, so I was incredibly wrong. And I just wanted to, uh, to publicly flagellate <laughs> myself for being you're so, so incorrect. <laughs> I delete it and then I never mention it again. No, no. Um, I, I feel I need to cop to it because I was, I was so wrong. Um, I'm also very excited about this, this S1 because eventually we're going to get a look at its margins. And Jeff mentioned, you know, what is it most closely uh, similar to and what will its multiples be? I think the gross margins on its revenue will be highly indicative of how it gets valued. Uh, yes. But from my current perspective, I don't know. So if it's at 70%, we could be looking at a relatively attractive multiple. Um, it has a lot to live up to in terms of its valuation. If it's more like 50% or below, it's going to be pretty rough to stay where it wants to be. Um, but it's going to be fun. And that's why this year is going to be so great, guys. I mean, we're going to see so much information on companies we've covered for, in Pinterest case, nine years. We're finally going to get to see the actual hard facts. That's you know, exciting. I, absolutely. One thing that's sort of interesting to me, and um, I don't know if Jeff, you have any insight into this whatsoever, but I think I'd read an information um, story about Pinterest, and I think it had said that one of its investors is to Fidelity, and Fidelity had marked down the deal slightly last year. So I don't, I can't even begin to imagine like what happens at these mutual funds and why they sort of, you know, we now that Fidelity is in lots of deals, it's sort of fun to kind of see how they are. Um, yeah, they have to disclose, things. you know, right. their their um, their private uh, sort of markups or, or down marks. Right. So, I mean, it doesn't really sort of mean anything because um, when you are an entity that reports to its investors in, in a public way, you have to use very conservative sort of um, measurements and, and comps. What you, comps. Mm -hmm. And so what you're going to do is you're going to use uh, typically uh, external uh, sort of agencies uh, that will sort of help you come up with an independent valuation so that you can point to them saying it's not me, it's them saying okay. it's valuation blah. And so the fact that they marked uh, Pinterest down doesn't really mean much. I'm sure that the company wasn't like super happy about <laughs> it. But at the, at the end of the day, what matters is how the uh, the banks are going to sort of look at the interest in the Pinterest stock mm -hmm. and how they will define, well, this is sort of the range we're going to try and get out. And, you know, in the last week, they may sort of increase it. In the last day, they may increase it. And we'll see what, uh, what happens and if it pops, you know, the first day of trading. But given that this is a... Um, a very 
uh, consumer-focused sort of brand, I would I would really expect to have a lot of interest from retail investors, and I would I would venture that it will probably go really well, provided that they price it properly. And from what I've seen in the last few IPOs in the last six months, bankers are doing a good job, sort of making sure that you know it's not priced too aggressively, so there is a pop, right? Uh, you know, first day. And also, I just imagine there's like a huge appetite for a really great consumer brand, and who knows when we're going to see Uber and Lyft? I mean, very possibly they'll come out before at Pinterest, but either way, it's sort of you know last year was completely enterprise centric so true uh, i'm sure there's but it, it depends on how good they are as businesses and and as alex was saying it's super exciting to go and dig into the numbers and see whether they're you know a bit in the red a lot in the red bleeding money or whatever because mm-hmm. that's certainly what um what people have been sort of thinking about uh with regards to uber which is oh my god this is an incredible growth but look at those losses right and yes they have unlimited capacity for financing but still, you know, at some point they have to um, sort of change that trajectory because the market won't. won't yeah, I, right, right. And I don't know if interest has ever been profitable. Well, I mean, it can't be as unprofitable as Uber has been. I mean, speaking about that, we are we're kind of due now for Uber's Q4 numbers. Uber has gotten so large now they kind of release new metrics on a quarterly basis. But at least as of the time of recording this, I haven't seen uh, Q4 numbers from Uber, so I'm presuming they haven't dropped yet. Uh, but I'll be fascinated to see if they've managed to, as Jeff said, lower their pace of loss and keep that growth up because that's what you want to show on the way to an IPO. You want to show shrinking losses and growing revenue at a minimum, that path to profitability everyone wants to see. Uh, if you don't have that, uh, you're going to struggle because I think sentiment has changed a bit on the public side. It's not quite as bullish as it was you know, late 17, early 18. Um, um, but transitioning awkwardly, since I'm not very good at these things, one company that is very profitable um, and is also apparently going public soon is Zoom, the video conferencing company that I think a lot of us are using. Um, although I, I don't know, Alex, if Crunchbase News uses it. I we think do. We we're we're, we're like Zoom a- customers because Crunchbase is because I believe we share emergence capital as an investor. So we're part of the same yes. corporate okay. family. And Zoom, if you don't know, just go to any airport in America, look up <laughs> and you'll see enormous Zoom billboards. They are essentially like Skype for business, but not trash on the video conferencing front. Um, they're they're pretty good. Uh, I'm just shocked that uh, they, they have so much advertising. It's it's nearly insane, uh, but it must work. We spent a lot, yeah. But it's still apparently cash uh, cash flow positive. What's interesting is uh, they picked Morgan Stanley, I guess, and um, according to a source uh, that spoke to a Business Insider reporter, uh, they they chose the company in part because Morgan Stanley. Um, uses the technology. And I think it's kind of funny because Morgan Stanley is all about talking about its use of the brands that it wants mm-hmm. to underwrite. So most famously, Michael Grimes, who's their sort of tech um, banking the head. Banker, yeah. mm-hmm. Right. Uh, he had reportedly moonlighted for years as a driver for Uber, which apparently was successful. Uh, Uber announced in December, I think, that Morgan Stanley is leading. Well, you show passion for the product, understanding, and they're, they're also an awesome underwriter, to be honest. They're, okay. they're a great lead banker. So, I mean, they're they have a very, very impressive track record. Right, right, right. Very smart. That's a lot of Uber driving, though, to get I, a deal. I wonder how many total rides they're going to put in. I know I'm off topic, but I'm I know. But can you imagine? Curious. Can you imagine the fees from that IPO? It'll totally have been <laughs> worth it. Yeah. Um, I have to say, I got to interview um, uh, Zoom's CEO Eric Wan last year, and he's like one of the nicest 
guys I've ever talked with. It's very, very humble seeming. Um, he was previously the VP of engineering at um, a video conferencing company that we all know and hate, <laughs> WebEx, which <laughs> sold to Cisco in 2007. And I mean, Eric talks very publicly about how embarrassed he was because Cisco just, you know, did such a terrible job of sort of like updating the product that basically it was sort of the reason that he decided to strike out on his own and, and create Zoom. Yeah, and I know place. that I'm I'm terribly biased because my corporate overlord, shares an investor, was there, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But Zoom actually works, and that's nice, especially in the world of video conferencing <laughs> usually failing. Um, but I wanna I wanna close off our, our IPO chat here with uh, a kind of a quote um, because there's been a lot of talk on on this show and around the the tech press media, if you will, about what's going to happen with the SEC and the government shutdown, the risk of another government shutdown, and is that going to delay a lot of these offerings that we're talking about, or at least looking forward to uh, in 2019. And um, Barrett Daniels, who was a guest on the show a while back, he's kind of the uh, leading public intellectual on the accounting side regarding IPOs, um, said in response to this kind of question about timings and the government said, from my view, the fact that there is only three weeks until another potential shutdown is not slowing down anything in the IPO world. In fact, it is probably the opposite. So I think that uh, for those of us who are real IPO fans, uh, myself included, maybe we're going to get a lot of early presence this year uh, in the form of S1s. So I'm optimistic. Um, So if everyone's out there thinking about filing, uh, hurry up because we're sick of talking about you maybe filing. Get on it. <laughs> well, also, can they really shut down? down they the can again. They are that. In, they are that. Oh, they can. I mean, look, that, okay. that's been the narrative. It's either you know shut down or uh, emergency declaration. Or, you know, yeah. Declaration. Right. So, oh my god! But I, just, I think to to just going back to uh, to the S ones, um, the, the the challenge of accelerating your S one. I mean, there is so much that goes into that process in terms of you know audits, accounting, making sure you're ready. You do those sort of. Uh, Silent, you know, uh, financial findings and so on and so forth to make sure you're ready for the big day. It's hard for a company to uh, sort of push the button, suddenly decide mm-hmm. that they're going to go public and file. So when people said, oh, Lyft, you know, filed because Uber filed, they were just ready, right? Uh, it was not like, oh, my God, Uber filed. We just have to do it as well. It's just right, it's something that you plan. Mm-hmm. Potentially, it's a, it's a project plan, which is, 9, 12, 15 months mm-hmm. long mm-hmm. that you work backwards on. Mm-hmm. So so I guess it's more a matter of how many companies will the SEC, I mean, how many sort of filings will they be able to sort of pour over yes, in the next you know, what sort of capacity right. can they go through? Right. Because there is a massive amount of work that goes into, you know, like think about the review of um, Uber's filing mm-hmm. and all the, you know, questions that they have to ask about the complexity of the business, given that it's something international. And so, I have no idea, but I would I would assume that Leaf will go out faster because it's a it's a simpler business to analyze. That's a great point. And that so we'll see. I mean, yeah. I don't know anything. Sure. Uh, unfortunately, I'm an investor, so. But <laughs> Jeff, you missed that one too. Yes, no, I'm kidding. Jeff's got great great deals. <laughs> now, Connie's just like singing your <laughs> praises. <laughs> Jeff's fantastic. <laughs> don't mind me. Um, you just suck at it. But, you know, <laughs> thanks for coming on the show, Jeff. You're terrible. One other thing that was sort of interesting. I mean, Alex, to sort of underscore that people are excited and um, waiting to get their hands on IPO shares. Some people can't even wait. 
the journal ran a story earlier this week about a lot of the startups, shares, privately held uh, startups, trading hands um, sort of more aggressively on the secondary market. So I don't know really what that means. I mean, I think on the one hand, people are excited that the IPOs are coming. On the other, other hand, I think because we've the market's been so sort of crazy, you know, maybe people are thinking, well, gosh, my Uber shares um, are maybe as worth as much as they're going to be worth and I should sell them. In fact, the journal story said that $80 million worth of uh, Uber technology shares had changed hands. It's a lot of money. It's that's a fraction of a percent of Uber, but it's still a lot of money. Yeah, that, 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 I think that's exactly the point, Alex, which is if you think about the overall capitalization of, of Uber, it's actually nothing. It's a drop in the bucket. Mm-hmm. And to explain why, well, think about the fact that for employees or investors who are on the board or whatever, uh, it's going to take them a long, long time to actually get Liquid. out of mm-hmm. their position because they will be limited in terms of trading windows, in terms of how much you know they're going to be able to um, to sell. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you own a few percentage points of Uber, the CFO is talking to you about how you're going to plan over time mm-hmm. to get out of the position. And so using the very liquid secondary market makes a ton of sense where you can get early liquidity and yes you may not optimize your uh, price Mm -hmm. but you know over time you will just do well and lps limited partners investors and funds like early liquidity as well so it's either a personal thing Mm -hmm. you know i'm just going to get some chips of the table i won't have uh, to wait for six months or you know whatever the lockup is and if it's people who have meaningful ownership um Alex, do you want to talk about the last deal, which was Dropbox's acquisition of... Um, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. So just really quick, everybody. Uh, I know we've been talking a lot lately about unicorns and IPOs, and there is actually a whole rest of the venture market going on while we talk about those. And so to throw something different in the mix, uh, Dropbox, which I'm sure you've heard of, uh, bought a company called HelloSign for, I think it was $230 million in cash. Now, Dropbox has a bunch of money. I think they had like a, a billion in cash, give or take. Uh, as their last earnings report, and they generate nine figures of cash in operating cash flow each quarter, uh, so they could afford this. But what's cool is they spend a lot of money to buy a product that is kind of like adjacent to what they do. Because what HelloSign does is like what's called the e-signature market. Think like DocuSign or Adobe Sign or whatever. And so I feel like Dropbox has added a product into its uh, its mix that it can sell into its enterprise channels and probably boost its ACV and uh, hopefully keep its revenue growth machine going. It's just kind of a fun. Uh, deal to see because I think HelloScience last round was just a $16 million round. Uh, they raised a little bit before then too, but it wasn't an enormously funded company and it struck me as a pretty attractive exit. Um, if I think about a Series B that's like 16 mil, I don't know, Jeff, tell me if I'm wrong, but probably worth like 70 to 80 post, give or take. So I'm doing some rough math here. It looks like a 4X exit, give or take. Um, so it felt pretty impressive. I thought it was a cool deal and fun to see. Yeah, it's, uh, if, I mean, I don't know anything about the deal, but uh, it feels like the right math because 16 million would probably sort of own right. 20-ish percent of the company. So you're in the right ballpark. And you're right. I mean, everybody talks about billion-dollar exits. Everybody talks about unicorns, um, especially you guys uh, in the media. But um, <laughs> there, there's a world out there where you can make um, a lot of money as as founders having a more than you know decent exit, uh, and you will make your investors happy because you know, for us, I mean, recently had Sappho sell to uh, uh, Citrix for set roughly the same amount. I mean, those those are the kinds of deals that you don't have to wait for, you know, nine years, 10 years. They can come after like three, four, five years. Mm-hmm. And it's actually pretty good. And this is an eight-year-old company, I think. But still, that's not bad. I mean, yeah, it's, like it's a pretty cool deal. And, and, you know, it's just fun to see Dropbox making moves. You know, since their IPO, I feel like we haven't heard 
tons about them. Now they're a public company, different rules about disclosures. So it's fun to see them pop up back in the news for something other than an earnings report. And uh, I would love to see more mm -hmm. middle-ish nine-figure exits because I think they're always fun to unpack and try to figure out why the company sold. And in HelloScience case, you know, you can kind of go back through their um, venture capital history and see that it was like, I, don't, I forget it was 18 or 24 months after the last round. So the question is then, were they going to raise again? Was it kind of a raise or a sell? Do they have a bunch of cash? I don't know. But it, it, it creates kind of a fun um, investigative moment, if you will. Uh, but in this case, looks like a pretty healthy exit. But I think actually, Connie, we're a bit over time. We should probably... Um, Jeff, thank you so much for coming. Alex, I hope to see you I'll in be back. the flesh next week. And we'll see everyone else uh, a week from now. All right, everybody, thank you for listening. And a big thank you to Connie Loizos, our producer, Christopher Gates, our executive producer, Henry Pickovet, And we will see you all right here next week.